Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here on this wonderful day. We're still going to get a little bit of winter, and you're all happy about that. You're happy because it makes me happy. Yeah, that's not true. I I heard that. We're going to be reading out of the uh, Bible in your seats today, uh, just the the passage that is... uh, goes with the uh, message today out of the Ten Commandments. We've been preaching through the Ten Commandments. It'll be page 1208, for those of you who want to look there. And uh, before I start reading that text, though, there's a few things I'd like to uh, chat about. One is, we're all involved... Well, I don't know if we're all involved. Many of us are involved in reading the Daily Bible. How many of you are doing that? Okay, more than ten. That's great. It is. And um, if you didn't get one yet, they're still for sale. By the way, if you're in a place of hardship where you don't know that you can actually afford it, we want to make sure you have it in your hands. And so there are some kind saints here willing to help us. And uh, so feel free. Don't be bashful, okay, if, if finances are an issue. I know what that feels like. And so you go right ahead and get your hands on one, and we'll make sure it's covered. Speaking of the Daily Bible, how many of you have already fallen behind? No, you don't have to. Yeah, look at, look at, look at all the hands. Me, I'm already behind. I, that was the story all the time. We would read it. So now I'm doing two. Next, I'm going to have to do it three-year cycle, you know, four-year cycle. I'm still behind. Yeah. Well, you have to read. Anyway, so just having fun with you. If you are up to date, just so you know, the story of Joseph has finally ended, right? So the end of the passage uh, at the very end of Genesis, Joseph has passed away and he gives prophetic word. He says, make sure you take my bones up to the promised land. I thought that was very interesting. Right at the very end, that little picture that they knew that the God of Israel was a promise-keeping God and he was going to come through for them. And so it's just kind of interesting. I'm not going to say much more because it's all pretty self-evident. I also want to say that those of you who are reading obviously understand everything you're reading because I haven't gotten any questions. Not now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As long as we've covered it. If you've fallen behind, we already covered that, right? So, Genesis 1-1, I will answer your question. <laughs> yeah. He's asking for a friend, right? Okay, everybody gets it, right? We're having fun. Something up back there? We okay? Is our, is our nursery working? We had no heat this morning. We, this place was in darkness last night, except for the emergency lights at about 8.30, so... Uh, Anything that's working, we're grateful, right? Anything that's working. So, Daily Bible, just wanted to mention that. Um, Also, in uh, in a week, uh, next Sunday, I almost never do this. Uh, There are some things as far as where we're going as an assembly I need to park on and talk with you as a congregation about, but I'm not doing that today. So, when I come back, I will do that. The reason I'm saying come back is because next week I've been invited to speak where my son goes to church up north. It's a, an Assembly of God church plant. And they are, they are winning lots of 20-somethings. Very fun. Very fun. I mean, literally uh, hundreds of professions of faith. 
Um, the guy that's the pastor there is kind of, I call him, I think he's like the Pied Piper. He's just got this ability. And he asked me to come up and speak on a specific subject that I know a little about and, and then hang out with his leadership after. So that's where I'll be next week. But I'm saying that because our brother Tim Strait is going to preach, and he does a pretty good job, just like Derek does. And the reason I'm mentioning it is if you play hooky, I'm going to have the police watching for you. <laughs> and you will be getting a call from the office. Huh? That doesn't count. You got to come here to worship. That's a whole other subject I want to talk about, but not today. Okay, so you provoked me. All right. Everybody awake now? Everybody good? Anybody have a really... Never mind. Bad morning. Yeah. Anybody had a great morning? I hear a lot of laughter out here. I don't know. I'm going to ask you to join me for a moment of prayer. We need to uh, really do what we were singing about, looking up and seeing the one who is glorious. Anybody think about some of the words we were singing this morning? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. That's not just a Civil War ballad, okay? I mean, when, when, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, what happened? And I, I fear that many times we've entered into the family of God and have never actually gotten a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. So I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. So let's pray. Thank you for the gathering of your people, those who have uh, put the energy in, in spite of blackouts and whatever else last night, to be here, to honor you, to listen to you. Lord, it is a witness to our neighbors and to the world. It's a witness to ourselves. As some of us have been going through the spiritually, emotionally healthy text We recognize that Sabbath-keeping, not in a legalistic sense, but coming apart to worship you is a statement of our freedom, that we have been freed from bondage, and we've been called to give attention to you. So, Lord, today, Holy Spirit, help us to have the enemy's distractions taken away, the burdens of our heart, whatever it might be that has us not looking to you, but looking down at the mess on the planet. Take that away from us. Subdue our flesh. Holy Spirit, stir up that new man and woman that is in us by the impartation of the life of Christ. Those of us who have trusted you in spirit and in truth, you're in there. And we want to give you room to work. For those who are listening, leaning in, wondering, who are, who, who, who are these people who follow this, this Jesus? Uh, woo them, because you love them more than they understand. Help them to know it. Well, thank you for helping us today. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Did all of God's people say amen? Didn't sound like all of them said. Say amen. amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Okay. All right. Since we're out of electricity, don't forget to call Joe and make sure you don't go to his house if he has no electricity. Those of you who are in Joe's group. Okay, Joe, you got your extra PR there. Did you have electric yet? You don't know. You still don't know. Page 1208, if you have it. Otherwise, you're in the book of James, chapter 1. Somebody in the, in the room has been teaching on James, am I right? Uh, Diana, she's here somewhere. Uh, 
was teaching on the book of James uh, with the ladies. James chapter 1, 16 through 18. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. It's in the context of God telling his people, don't blame me when you sin. Because we love to say, that, that's God's fault. He put that temptation in my way and I couldn't help myself and therefore it's his fault. He says, don't be deceived. That's the very first line. Stop being deceived. You're the problem, not God. So it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. It's a great text, by the way. I use that all the time when I pray at weddings, you know. Weddings, we have big celebrations. Everybody's having food. And if we're lucky enough to stay long enough with as being the pastor, usually the uh, reception goes so long, my wife says, can't we stay long enough to have cake? But whenever I pray, I give thanks because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The fact that we have food to enjoy, drink, warm houses, uh, even if our electricity went out, we probably didn't freeze to death. And, um, and even the gift of marriage, all of those things are good gifts coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no shifting shadow. In other words, his nature doesn't change. He doesn't say, well, today this is good and tomorrow that's the opposite is good. He doesn't do that. And so he's making it clear, don't be deceived. Temptation is what you're responding to, misusing the good gifts that I've given you. That's what sin is, right? Part of our rebellion against God is misusing the good things that he has given to us. So don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Instead, he's brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be the first fruits. Those are the first offerings that belong to God. We would be his special chosen people that belong to him that manifest his nature. That's what that is all about. This is a little text that speaks to the subject of stewardship, of what God has given us. So that's why I wanted to use it by way of introduction. So as we jump into today's uh, eighth word, I think I've have we got that up yet. Here we go. The eighth word. By the way, in the, in the Hebrew context, they call the Ten Commandments the Ten Words, right? Ten Commandments, Ten Words. So we're up to the eighth word. I couldn't think of a good title for today. I, I just couldn't because the eighth word is about stealing. All right, so what was I going to say? Listen, you robbers. I mean, what am I going to say? So I thought the eighth word will work because it's the eighth command. That'll have to do, all right? The eighth word. As we jump into the passage, let me just say something that happened. I want to tell you a little story. I was preaching on Long Island at one time, and there was a dear lady um, who every Sunday was convinced that I was telling her story to the church. And I would say, I don't even know your name, let alone your story. I didn't know anything. 
And so I tried to explain to her, I don't know anything about you. I'm just telling stories from my life experience as a pastor over 45 years. I've seen this happen, this happen, and this happen. I've seen people make great choices, have God bless them. Here's their success story. I've seen them rebel against God and make disastrous choices, and here's the results. And I tell those stories over and over again. It has nothing to do with you. Next Sunday, same thing. You're telling my story. You've been eavesdropping. Yeah, like right. <laughs> now, the reason I share that is because on a Sunday morning, I do not, I just want to make this clear. I don't know why it's been on my heart, but I wanted to say it. I don't target anybody. I know all kinds of things, but I don't target a specific. <laughs> Until now. No. <laughs> So if the shoe fits, the Holy Spirit is talking to you. And it's not because I'm eavesdropping or got video cams in your house or anything like that. And I'm very careful not to do that, especially use a story, unless it's positive. I don't want to use a story that's so specific you all can figure out who he's talking about. I don't do that. I speak of general issues. I hear of general things. When I hear certain sin patterns one, two, three times in different people, I go, we got an issue here. That's when I address it. I just wanted to be clear. I don't play dirty. I don't. And two weeks ago, we handed out that sheet. Remember? Uh, the nine rules of respect, which was a, uh, an abridged ten rules. <laughs> I don't manipulate. I don't. And don't manipulate me either. And some of that goes on around here, just being blunt. So, here we go. Are we having fun yet? Mm -hmm. Wait till I get started. The point of this passage, all gifts are good. We're the ones that have an evil inclination since the fall, but we're invited to share his nature. And what, are the, what is the purpose of all the Ten Commandments? Do you remember when we've looked at the bigger picture? It's not just, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You are to love God above all, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's ama this is amazing. If you actually apply these rules, you will be better at loving your neighbor as yourself because that's what they're all about, especially these last five, right? Number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten are all relating to the social order. That, In fact, even five is relating to the social order in which we live. So, let's move ahead. Uh, the eighth word. I've had um, short Sunday sermon times, even though I am a bag of wind anyway. I always close right at half past the hour, because if I go any longer than that, and I get, raw, I get cheers, you know, some people are like, oh, please go on. No, because I want to keep my happy marriage. My wife is downstairs helping with junior church, and uh, those workers are down there watching our children. It's not fair to abuse them. It really isn't. So that's why I stopped, dropped dead at that point. But I ran out of time on several things, and one was having to do with this whole issue of honesty that we talked about last time. Actually, two weeks we spent on thou shalt not lie or bear false witness against your neighbor. And I never got to finish it, and it's appropriate to finish it today because the issue of honesty goes directly into the subject of stealing, right? If you're going to be dishonest, if you're going to steal, you have to learn how to lie. 
90% of the time, unless you're one of these kind of people, give me your money. I'm just straight up about the fact that I'm a thief. Take me. I always tell the truth, even when I rob them. You know, my, how noble. Yeah. I guess there is honor among thieves sometimes, right? So the first thing we need to talk about is being honest to God. You have your fill-ins if you want to know what they were. To being honest to God and being honest with ourselves. We talked about dealing with honesty in terms of social relationship, but there is a direct connection with talking to God because, see, what we often, we often get stuck on is the personality of God. We forget he's a person. You're a person. You have intellect, you have emotions, and you have volition. That's what makes you a person. God is also a person. He has intellect. He has emotions. He has volition. In other words, he has feelings. That's why the Bible talks about not grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can insult God. God's calling us to be honest with him and honest with ourselves. So let me finish up on the subject of truth speak. There's a reason that we're parking on the laws of God, the ten words. It's not because I want to convert us to legalism, because I think we have enough of that. I want us to be free of legalism, but not libertinism. There's a difference. Does everybody understand those words? Legalism is false rules that men impose on people saying, this is how you live the good Christian life. You have all these extra rules that are not commanded in the Scripture. Churches are full of those. Full of those. Okay? Have all kinds of rules that aren't specifically commanded in Scripture. On the other side is libertinism, which means I can do whatever I want, which is not right. Okay? It's not good for me. It's not good for the social order. It's definitely not good in terms of the kingdom of heaven. So the reason we're looking at the laws is because, and I don't know if we fully understand this, until we see the severity of violating the principles that God has given us, we don't understand our need for grace. Everybody know about Bonhoeffer's cheap grace concept? There's a lot of that going around today. Cheap grace. So, oh, just doesn't matter. God winks. Ah, that's all right. That's all right that you stole that, Danella. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. He didn't. Did he? Did he? Did you? No, sorry. Truth speak. I want to give you a quote from uh, an excellent text. Sometimes people, I, in fact, I have a request. If uh, Mrs. Frinko is listening via uh, webcast later, I owe her a list. I've been asked for a list of the books that I recommend. This one I highly recommend, but it's not light reading. It's called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life by uh, Richard Loveless. Here's what he says. What men wake up to in the light of a revival is their own condition and the nature of the true God. Did you catch that? What we wake up to, revival is when the church goes, I could have had a V8. And they wake up and they go, I'm living like this, but God's called me to live like this. And look, with the power of the Spirit, I can live like this. Wow! How fun is that? And it's like the church comes out of its coma and realizes, I'm missing it here. That's what revival is. 
What happens when that occurs, when the spirit penetrates our hard shell, is that we become aware of how broken we really are. Our true condition, but we also become aware at the same time of the nature of God, what he's really like. That he's not a senile old grandfather winking at his rebellious little grandchildren running around doing whatever they want. That he's holy. In fact, um, Jonathan Edwards said that his primary um, uh, nature is manifested in holy love. Put those two things together. He loves us, no question. You can't get more proof of his love than that. Oh, it's behind the screen. Cross. Jesus dying on the cross is the witness of his great love. But it's also the witness of his great holiness because the only solution to our sin was payment on a cross. The death penalty had to be applied. Okay, so what men wake up to in the light of a revival is their own condition and the nature of the true God. We'll want to talk more about those things in the future. But for now, speaking of being honest to God and honest with ourselves, we need to be willing to tell ourselves the truth. Face the truth. Embrace the truth. Here's the greatest mental health verse in the Bible. You've heard me say this before, right? If we confess our sins. Boy, you are quiet today. Am I that scary? Ugly? I don't know. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is confession? Confession is agreeing with God. That's what it means. I'm agreeing. I blew it. I'm wrong. I'm the wrong one. I keep saying it's your fault, but, you know, like that James passage, right? Oh, it's your fault. You put the temptation in front. I never did do anything with that woman, you know. It's not my fault. Didn't do nothing. I don't know what you're laughing at. (laughs) If we confess, though, if we come clean, if we agree with God, I'm wrong, you're right, I repent. By the way, confession implies I'm changing my, you know, repentance means I'm changing my mind. I'm wrong, I'm going to work on stopping this bad habit. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how many of us in the room want to admit that there are sins that nag us and we feel continually guilty and condemned about. Look at the hand. I wasn't really seriously asking for hands, but thank you very much. There's a way to put a stake in the ground, be done with that. I have a little, not today. I have a little, uh, I have a little, how unfair, what a mean pastor. (laughs) <laughs> I got to keep you hungry. Keep them coming back, you know. Yeah, live in your guilt. I have a, I have a little, um, a little uh, cheat sheet that I, I uh, put together from um, a group that did um, outreach ministry called the Sotera Brothers. And they, they made a little sample of discerning the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and Satan's condemnation. Two different animals. When you have confessed your sin and you're still getting beat up, it's time to stand up and say, shut up, Satan. I have put that under the blood. Either bring something new or just drop it. And see, what we do as believers, we just lay there, I'm I'm so screwed up, I just can't do anything. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Stop doing that. Get up and give them a good 
punch in the nose, you know, spiritually. Oh, we're not supposed to give Satan any attention. Where do you get that junk? That's the kind of stuff people make up in churches. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, we're not supposed to give Satan any glory. Who's asking us to give him glory? I'm asking you to give him a black eye. That's what I'm asking you to do. And in order to do that, you've got to go nose to nose. Even the Puritans knew that. I'm off track because of my ADD. Okay, back on task. If we confess, that is the greatest mental health verse in the scripture. When I'm being beat up and I'm feeling depressed and I know I'm a failure, I go and stand on the accomplished work of Jesus and say, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me. As far as I know, I've confessed everything I can think of. Then I can stand in authority. That's what praying on, uh, being on praying ground is about. You're not coddling your sin. You guys that keep coddling, oh, Lord, I want to renounce my addiction to that. Not really. Well, no wonder you're powerless. Make up your mind. If we confess, there's liberty. I can stand in authority at that point. Am I making sense to anybody? Okay, I'm just checking. So 1 John 5 through 9, but that one, verse 9, confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous. Let me read something to you from a famous book called The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. Um, and first I have to go to the right page. So, light and darkness. This whole thing in 1 John is all about light and darkness. When anything reproves us, shows us up as we really are, that is the light. Whatever doth make manifest is light. But whenever we do or say anything or don't say anything to hide what we are or what we've done, that is... What's the opposite of light, friends? Good. We're on a roll. Now, listen to this. This is fun. Because you guys just did Genesis, right? You read the fall of man. Remember the fall? Remember that way back? <laughs> Teddy, you're right on it this week, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm so bad. Hey, payback's a bummer. Anyway, um, now the first effect of sin in our lives is we always, is always to make us try to hide what we are. Oh, boy. Yes, ma'am, I surely will. The first effect of sin in our lives is to always is always to make us try to hide what we are. Occasionally, I'm working on my own self here. I, I, maybe I, there's a little sin here that I think I'm pretty honest. Pretty proud of the fact I'm pretty honest. And, God, and, God, yeah, and then God shows me some says, you're a little shady on that. You got very mild thing, but just very mild. But it doesn't matter. It's a little trace of darkness. You get what I'm saying? Sin made our first parents hide behind the trees of the garden and has had the same effect on us ever since. Since the fall, husbands and wives, why do you have difficulty? You're hiding from each other. You're hiding. I don't want you to see who I really am. One of the, I, oh, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Am I allowed to do this? Sure. Um, I think about this when I get to the issue of thou shalt not commit adultery. When I get to that subject to talk about the glory of what God designed, one of the most beautiful things about true marriage, the way it's supposed to be, they were naked and not ashamed. Total openness, not just physical. That's what we think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Duh! You're missing it. Yeah, yeah, get over it. Anyway, so, yeah. 
That's part of it. But that's the ultimate culmination, if you will, of complete openness and complete shared life-to-life, heart-to-heart, dreams and dreams. You get what I'm saying? We cheat ourselves. Oh, I, got, I have to come back. I got to. Sorry. Boy, that, that is such a huge subject to me, and our culture is falling apart today because of our sexuality is being destroyed. And I could just get going, but we're on stealing today, so keep me on track. Here we go. Sin always involves us in being unreal, pretending, unreal, pretending, duplicity, window dressing, excusing ourselves, and blaming others. Oh, don't you love it? And we can do all that as much as by our silence as by saying or doing something. This is what the previous verse calls walking in darkness. Walking in the light is a whole different thing. I'm going to tell you one of the things I long for in this place and I have not seen yet is that kind of freedom. Where we recognize we are messed up. We get in trouble here, we go hide. I've seen it over and over and over. Frustrates the stuff out of me. Anyway, listen to the way of fellowship. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. To walk in the light. By the way, that doesn't mean you confess all your dirt to anybody. Hello? McFly? Don't do that. Okay, that would be a mistake. But I hope there are people you can get real with. I was just interacting with somebody about this very issue. A person who's got, they've fallen back, they, they got born again, they got discipled out of some real rough background. They've fallen back a little bit. And, uh, and the problem is the people you interact with are not lifting the bar up and helping you. They're helping you be dumber. Oh, yeah, that's okay. That's normal. Yeah, it's all fine. No, it isn't. We have fellowship with one another. To walk in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. Spurgeon, the prince of Baptist preachers, just in case you're nervous, Baptist defines it in one of his sermons as the willingness to know and to be known. As far as God is concerned, this means we're willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. We're open to conviction. I want to know the truth about me. That is sheer terror. You all, you know, you all saw the never-ending story, right? Everybody remember the old movie, the never-ending story? The little gremlin guy says, Most people looking in the mirror run from themselves screaming in terror. You can rent it cheap. You don't even have to go to the movies. What? I'll loan it to you, maybe. After my sermon, I'll, you'll, I'll decide whether I'll loan it to you. Okay, so here we go. That's the Calvary Road. In Eden, it started. We're still doing it. But the Bible tells us that the truth will set us free. Jesus said that. Let me show you a verse I wanted to leave on the screen a couple of weeks in a row. Just plant it there. I'm just going to give it to you quick. We'll come back to it. Fantastic proverb. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. We wonder why we're screwed up. Wonder why we're broken. Why why it ain't working. Why we're not experiencing the abundant life and we're seeing victories in our lives and in our children's life. We've got to come clean. First with God. Maybe with people, depending on who. But he who confesses and forsakes them. That doesn't mean you walk on water. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. Like, I'm expecting people to walk on water. Not true. 
but an attitude of I'm doing my best. You remember when Gary was here, uh, my friend who they have a ministry to those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. The people who come and worship, the song we sang today, Beautiful One, that's where I fell in love with that song. I watched these people who were struggling with all their might to try to keep their brain straight on what the scripture says about their sexual relationships. And with all their might, they're pressing in and singing beautiful one. And I went, oh my gosh, and I think I have struggles. But they had made up their mind, I want to go toward the light. Does it mean they never stumbled? Of course they stumbled. But the grace community they were in prayed them through and prayed them out of it and lifted them up, got them back on track so that they weren't continuing to park in the darkness. Enough said. That's honest to God and self. So now let's talk about today's verse, the non-negotiable, which basically says, you shall not steal. Deuteronomy 5, 19 or Exodus 20, either place you want to look, you shall not steal. I wanted to uh, show a clip, but the problem with it is that the... um, Oh, you got to back up for me. I just got messed up. There's a, there's a picture, and there he is. Anybody see Cinderella Man? The reason I couldn't show the clip, it's a prize fighter who makes a comeback during the, it's a true story, uh, during the Depression. And they're without food. And so his little boy goes down to the butcher shop and steals a sausage. Comes home. Dad comes home that day, Russell Crowe. But the problem with Russell Crowe video clips is he mumbles. So can't hear what he's saying, so I'm just going to repeat it for you. This is the scene. He takes his son. I love this. I wish we were doing Honor Your Father and Your Mother today. He takes his son. Let's go. Down the street they go with the sausage into the butcher shop. They don't even go into the butcher shop. They just show through the window, the kids standing at the counter, and the guy behind, and dad, you know, and out they go. What a life lesson, huh? Right there, dad doing what he's supposed to do. Not just telling him, doing it with him, taking him down. And then the boy tells why he was afraid and why why he stole and... and, uh, One of his friends had to be sent away, and he thought it was going to happen to him and whatever. And so Russell Crowe gets down on his knees, looks him right in the eye. He says, we will never send you away, but we never steal. Not for any reason. And they're, they're starving, these people. It's the Depression. We never steal. And that's when they hug. What a learning I'm sure that boy never forgot it. Great film, by the way. Let's just define what does he mean when he says don't steal. I'm going to turn to our forebear in the Reformation, Martin Luther, and uh, look at the issue of stealing. Here's the command. The commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? Here's the big picture again, brothers and sisters, loving God and loving your neighbor. Here's the big picture. We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or goods, nor get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his goods and means of making a living. What? 
Not stealing means also helping him improve his means and goods. Did you catch that? Caring about my neighbor. So there's a broadness to that commandment. How should we use our money and goods? Here's the stewardship idea from from the book of James. We should use our money and goods as faithful stewards of the gifts of God. Everything we have belongs to him, right? I know how we are. I used to do this too. I did it more with time than with stuff. This is my stuff. Yeah, God, I'm going to serve you, but this is my stuff. Yeah, God, I'm going to serve you, but this is my plan. Don't mess with it. Yeah, God, I'm going to serve you, but this part is my... Mm -mm -mm -mm. Boy, are you missing the point. It can all be gone just like that, right? But he owns it all. We're faithful stewards of the gifts of God, and he's happy to give his children gifts. We just forget that, where it's coming from. And remember that we are always accountable to him. How do we take our neighbor's money or goods? By robbery or theft. We get what does not belong to us. How do we get our neighbor's money and goods in a dishonest way? He makes a little comment because uh, left to ourselves, we won't think it through. So he says, we get our neighbor's money or goods in a dishonest way by cheating, gambling, bribery, overcharging, false measure, false tax returns, and the like. Uh Uh-oh, he's really preaching here today. What? False tax returns. Yes. If you think I'm in love with... Never mind. (laughs) I'm not, but I will pay them what I have to or go to jail. I don't want to... Anyway, so that, that was supposed to be funny. Anyway, that's Luther's catechism. Loving our neighbor and stewarding what God has given me. Anybody remember that great Christmas story we just went through not too far back here? A Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that? Do you remember the scene where Mr. Potter, who's already filthy rich, finds the money that Uncle Eddie, I think, Eddie lost. I think it's Uncle Eddie. Billy, working for... Thank you, you um, movie fans. All right. Uh, Uncle Billy loses thousands of dollars Huh? Just to be exact, $7,000. And Mr. Potter finds it, and he sees it as a great opportunity to destroy his opposition. Ooh, what a nasty person. What a nasty person. Think about, there are people like that around. I don't think many are in the room here, to be honest. I don't think I have too many robber types. I think of when I go to the bank and I have to shield my hand over my, in the ATM, make sure somebody isn't siphoning off all my data. What a world we live in, right? Can you imagine if everybody obeyed these commands? I mean, imagine if they were up in the schoolroom, like, try it out. Try it, you'll like it. Oh, heaven forbid. But anyway, Mr. Potter. I don't think we have that kind of thing. By the way, here's the New Testament version of this commandment. Anyone who was a thief must stop stealing. Instead, he should exert himself at some honest job with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do you see the broader picture again? It's not just don't do bad. It's also do good. That he might. What's the matter? Okay. Okay. He must stop stealing, exert himself, 
be honest, and share with those in need. Most of us don't pilfer, rob, etc., but I think there may be some applications for us. Can I just make one comment? This is, this is my duty as a preacher. Having unpacked the passage in the Old Testament, you should know this. It's an aside. I don't want to get derailed with it. But I just want you to know, uh, a commentary by Craigie, the New International, talks about Deuteronomy 24, 7. Let me just read it to you, that this verse, thou shalt not steal, also applies in this regard. If a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with him violently or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Tremendous implications relating to the sex trade that we, uh, you know, we rallied to push our government about, hostages, stealing airplanes with people on board, whatever. Tremendous implication. That's a sidebar relating to this text. But I don't want to park on that today. I want to deal simply with money and stuff, if I could. So now I'll talk about the, the stuff side of it. Kylan Dielich, the most probably one of the most famous Old Testament conservative commentators, says this about the commandment. Thou shalt not steal prohibited not only the secret or open removal of another person's property, but listen, injury done to it or fraudulent retention of it through carelessness or indifference. Okay, now I'm going to start meddling. I've been only having fun with you so far, right? (laughs) Oh. When I was a kid... I was playing a ball with some friends, fooling around, probably too close to the neighbor's house, and I nailed a beauty. And it went right through the neighbor's window. Anybody ever had one of those experiences? Yes. And what do you think I had to do? I had to go visit the neighbor. And not... And not <laughs> And at least offer to pay for it. At least offer to pay for it. Anybody ever had to make restitution on some stuff? I did. I got saved. When I got saved, I realized that I had been pilfering. I had the thinking that some of us still have sometimes, that big organizations, they're filthy rich and they abuse people and they take advantage and they jack up their prices. Therefore, it's legitimate to steal from that organization. So I did. And then when I got born again, I heard a message on restitution. I went, oops. I swallowed hard. I didn't know if it meant I would get in trouble with the law. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was heading to seminary. I had no idea. I went and said, I want to pay, pay for something that I took wrongly. The guy behind the counter said, oh, you want to make restitution? Yeah, that's it. Easy. Wrote me a receipt. That was the end of it. Okay, well, that was easy. So then after that, I was totally bold in making restitution. You get what I'm saying? There are some conscientious applications of this commandment. So I want to talk about them. Let me just go through a list. My purpose is not to be legalistic or to heap guilt on anyone. That's not the purpose. What I'd like you to do is just say, Holy Spirit, are you talking to me? That's all. One night I was, um, I'm going to tell you one more story. 
I'm laying in bed. It was summertime back up on Howland Hill up in Broome County. We're out in the country. And I hear, boom. 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 Guess what was happening? When it came to my mailbox, I was sleeping in my shorts. I grabbed my car keys, jumped in the car, and chased them at 75 miles an hour all the way down the road. They ended up getting busted. It was mailbox smashing. That's what was happening. That's called vandalism. It's destroying someone else's property. That's stealing. It's not yours. People think it's funny. I know what some of you are thinking because we've had a little adventure with some of that. Okay? And the wonderful justice system, I ended up getting one-third the value of replacing it, but at least something happened. At least they got that, so I was glad at least of that. Vandalism, mailbox, what about riots, burning people's cars? It was in the newspaper that people were mad at Trump. They picked the wrong guy's house and smashed out his window. What a wonderful just system. If you would obey God's word, we would have a much happier culture to live in, would we not? By the way, speaking of destroying stuff, abusing our environment, litter, all that, you make your applications, but it's not yours. You know what was amazing? I was in Japan. Here's a non-Christian culture. I think there's like five, less than 5% are believers in Japan, whatever. Our, our missionaries could tell us. In Japan, when I was there, it was a long time ago, in the 70s. If there was a box wrapped up nicely sitting on a main corner in Tokyo. Tokyo. Millions of people. If there was a string tied to that package, no person would touch it. Nobody would touch it. The string meant ownership. It belongs to somebody else, not me. Is it yours? No. Leave it alone. Simple. Are you using someone else's stuff? Put it back the way you found it. Or better. Fender benders. Oh, it's just a little ding. One of the problems of living in a wasteful, overstuffed society is that some of us don't think things matter that do matter. What doesn't matter to you, it's a minor little thing. It doesn't cost much. It's, it's just a little item that I borrowed permanently. For someone else, maybe an issue of concern because they're trying to keep food on their table, let alone what else. I remember seeing some guy bash. Well, he didn't totally bash. I want to be accurate. He dinged my car and parked and then got out and wanted to get his hair cut. And I'm standing right there watching him. Thank you so much. Leave a note. I'll pay for this. I've done it. Won't be the end of the world. Whenever I preach and I steal somebody's title, I always put an asterisk up there because I don't want to be guilty of plagiarism. It's taking stuff and not giving credit. And you can do that at work when you're trying to jockey to get ahead of your coworker. Knock it off. Disruption. Put it back. I already told you the string story. 
Ridiculous lawsuits to get rich quick. I, I don't know if they're listening in Florida, but uh, do you remember the McDonald's uh, hot coffee in the lap uh, lawsuit? What did you want? Did you order cold coffee on purpose? I mean, what the heck was that about? I don't know anything about it, so don't lecture me, okay? I don't want to hear it. Dishonest or illegal business practices, yes, even Christians. The Bible says, do all things honestly in the presence of all men. I had, I had my son working for Christian businesses. Can I tell you how sour grapes I can be about something? You know, we have the Christian yellow pages. We had a Christian yellow pages that said in small print, to be sure. And I went, oh, yeah. To be sure? My son watched the law-breaking and dishonesty, and you're claiming it? Just stop it. Take the name of Christ off it if you're going to do like that. School loans, books, tools, probably because we're so wasteful. Oh, it's no big deal. He'll never admit it. miss it. Let me show you a verse. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Ooh, ow, right? I can't tell you how many books have disappeared from my library. And that's small potatoes. I do forgive those people, by the way. No, my point is, I'm, I'm neurotic about this kind of stuff. It's not mine. I want to make it right. Fix it if I possibly can. So there, there are some things to, to stir up our, our conscience or to speak life to one another about, perhaps. Let me talk about the last thing. The effect on character. Those are conscientious applications. This is the effect on character. I love this verse. This is a whammer. Ready? Ephesians 5.5. 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an... Ooh. Ooh. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ? This you can be sure. It's interesting. He lumps together, and again, I don't want to get ahead on my commands, immorality and impurity... Greedy is some of the same issue. Do you realize that when it comes to lust, it's a greed problem? We're ungrateful, we're unhappy, we're discontent, there's something broken inside. We're greedy, we're idolaters. Gee, it seems to me that idolatry is wrong. Isn't that in one of the commandments somewhere? Oh, that's Old Testament. Oh, bull. <laughs> the very end of John, the very guy we quoted at an opening, Little, little children, keep yourselves from... See why we're reading the Bible? Okay. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. They're all around us. He's such a man is an idolater, a greedy person. The motive to sneak, to fudge, to cheat to become dishonest, to swipe what is not yours, whatever it might happen to be, even if it's only little stuff, it comes out of something that's broken, greedy. God is trying to change our personality to become more like himself. I mentioned earlier being honest with God and being honest with, with yourself. I'm going to take a risk here. I, I even, I'm nervous to do this because um, when, when people are guests... I'm turned off just like you are when you go to a church and all they ever do is ask for money, stuff like that, okay? So I'm, I'm nervous to even say this because that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just showing you a principle out of the Old Testament. And uh, so let me explain. In the book of Malachi, God is instructing his people. And he makes, it is possible to steal from God. 
And that's what it says. Oh, thank God, that's the Old Testament. Okay. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Here they go. What? What? Remember the wolf in, in uh, Shrek laying in bed? He opens it. What are you doing in my bedroom? What? That's God's people. Why? Why? What's the problem? I'm innocent. No, you're not says the Lord of hosts. You say, how shall we return? Well, let me get to one point. By the way, this was just one of a whole bunch of points. It's just one. He doesn't need your money. How shall we return? Will a man rob God? But you say, have we robbed God? How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, right? I'm not, this is not about the amount or all of that. What, it, what I'm getting at is that we think we own it. Is there a consciousness that it's his? And I'm under responsibility to steward it. I can rob God of everything that he's given me. Think about it. My time, my worship, my gratitude and praise, my serving him, which is one of our weak spots. Commitment to serving him as though he's God instead of an inconvenience. Will a man rob God? And what follows is that I'm telling you, if you'll fix this, I'm going to pour out blessings you won't be able to stand. That's what he says. See, God's intention, as I said from the very beginning of this series, he wants to bless. All things being equal, he wants to bless. We're the ones that allow ourselves to get out from under the place of his blessing. So he wants to bless. God seeks our hearts. He wants to wean us off our idols. He wants us to love him, to get free of greed and coveting, free to serve, to give, to grow, to become generous like he is, and to get blessed in the process. I have never obeyed God and repented of my dirt and not had joy in the process. It's always been joyful. If that hasn't worked for you, maybe you're not born again. I don't know what else to tell you. Maybe you don't have the life of Christ in you because that's how it works. When he convicts me and I break and I get, you're right and I'm wrong and I bawl my eyes out, I'm filled with joy at that minute. I'm accepted in the beloved. The mental health verse works for me. Ha-ha! Thank you for that enthusiastic amen. I'm going to go put an application in an African-American church where they talk to you. You know what I mean? Well, preach it, pastor. That's right. And some last <laughs> seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all your needs will be added. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Now don't do it just to try to. Yeah. <laughs> Too late. A while back, I read this, and my time is up, so I'm going to streamline this just for the fun of it. Anybody remember when I preached out of the pineapple story? I just want to review it very quickly. Missionary in Dutch New Guinea, he's uh, trying to preach the gospel to the natives there, and he decides since he's living there, he's going to get a treat, which is pineapples. And he wants them to grow, and he hires the natives to plant it and to harvest for him, but they think because they plant it, it's theirs. So they take them. Every time they get ripe, they take them, and his ripe fruit keeps disappearing. He's frustrated. 
So the planter stole from him, the guy that did the planting. Then he got that settled, and then the other people were stealing from him. So he closed the medical clinic that they had, and the people started getting sick and miserable. So they said, we'll go back to the jungle. He said, well, this isn't working as a missionary. I'm driving my mission field away. And so he repented, and he opened the clinic. And then they did it again. And so this time he closed the store, and they said, well, we can't get stuff. The same thing happened. Basically, there I was sitting by myself eating pineapples, no people, no ministry. I said to my wife, look, we can eat pineapples back in the States. I mean, if that's all we're here to do. (laughs) By the way, that's not what he was here to do. And there's more drama involved in the process. But ultimately what happens is he comes home and he hears some preaching and he gets convicted about the fact that he's trying to own this thing. And he's mad about it because he's an idolater. He doesn't realize it. So I stood out in the garden one night. The people had gone home. I didn't want them to see me out there praying. I prayed, Lord, you see these pineapple bushes? I have fought for them, to have fruit for them. I have claimed them. I have stood up for my rights, and it's all wrong, and I realize it now. I have seen that it is wrong, and I give them to you. From now on, everything that you have, brothers and sisters, from now on, if you want me to eat any of your pineapples, fine. You just go right ahead and give them to us. If not, fine. It doesn't really matter. I'm sure you had a great attitude. So I gave them to God, and the natives stole the pineapples as usual. And I thought to myself, see, God, you can't control them either. (laughs) Then one day they came to me and said, Tuan, you have become a Christian, haven't you? I was ready to react and say, look here, I've been a Christian for 20 years. But instead I said wisely, why do you say that? Because you don't get angry anymore when we steal your pineapples. Oh, that was a revelation. Now I was living what I had been preaching to them. They knew I wasn't doing it. Finally, one bright lad started thinking and said, Now, why don't you get angry anymore? I said, I've given that garden away. It isn't my garden anymore. So you're not stealing my pineapples, and I don't have to get angry anymore. Another guy started to think even more, and he said, Well, who did you give it to? They looked around. Did he give it to you? Did he give it to you? Whose is it anyway? Whose pineapples are we stealing? They know they're stealing. (laughs) This is great. Then I said, I've given the garden to God. They said, to God? Hasn't he got any pineapples where he is? I said, I don't know whether he has them or not, but I have given it to God. They went to the village and said, do you know whose pineapples we're stealing? Tuan has given them to God. They all started thinking about that when they came back in a group and said, Tuan, you should not have done that. Why don't you get them back from God? No wonder we aren't getting any pigs when we hunt. No wonder our babies are getting sick. No wonder our wives are not giving birth. No wonder the fish aren't biting. Is there a God or not? We shouldn't steal them anymore if they're God, should we? Duh. (laughs) Figured that out. They were afraid of God. So then the pineapples began to ripen. The natives came and said, Tuan, your pineapples are ripe. I said, they're not mine. They belong to God. They said, but they're going to get rotten. You'd better pick them. So he picked them. They ate them. He gave some away to the natives. Everyone was happy. And then all those years, the natives were watching me. When I'd eat those pineapples, I'd say, thank you for giving them to us, God. They saw that the two didn't match. But when I began to change, they did too. And soon the natives decided to become... Christians.
Let's stand together. I'm overdue. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Teach us to steward all that we have as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go fetch.